Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our look at um, the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6. Jesus is about to teach his disciples how to pray. He tells them how not to pray, so don't be like the Gentiles, <clears throat> for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner that they may be seen by others. So you've got those two things. And then Jesus says, don't pile up empty phrases like the Gentiles, for they think they're going to be heard because they have many words to say. Well, I'm a guy with many words to say, obviously. <clears throat> but I really do believe that the simplest prayer, it, it shows our, expresses completely our, our reliance upon him and our, our uh, trust in his sovereignty, his goodness, and his greatness. And so those things all matter. And, and when, so when Jesus says, pray like this, he says, our Father in heaven. It's recognition of to whom I am praying. Hallowed be your name. We're setting it apart above all others. And so it's, it's keeping really the first commandment to love the Lord your God and to have no other gods before him. Hallowing the name is setting it apart. It's saying that there's nothing that compares with him. So it, it's moving him into a separate category, while at the same time referring to him as Father, Adonai, Lord, Daddy, all those things that people talk about. Um, so there's this tension here of the imminent and the transcendent. Um, the, the imminent is expressed in our Father, and then in heaven, hallowed be your name, it is expressing the transcendent nature of God, that he is above all things. Nothing compares with him. So we are humbling ourselves before a holy God when we recognize him that way. But it's the recognition that we're in relationship with him as though he were our father. And, and God expresses that again and again and again through the prophets. He, he always is referring to himself in that way. <clears throat> It, like, I, I was the one who taught Ephraim to walk. I held him by the hands, he says in Hosea 11. It's one of the most tender passages in all the Scripture. You can just see this God leading this child along, teaching them how to walk in his ways. But the, So the relationship is expressed in that way, to, that our Father, who's in heaven, and then hallowed be your name. And so we're recognizing both sides of this relationship. The, it, it expresses the fear of God to say, hallowed be your name. Um, but it, but it also recognized the relational aspect of God as well when we call him Father. And then we pray really simply, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying for the end times when we pray this. And and, and there should be, and, and sometimes is, a sense of urgency about that. Like you, you see the world for what it is, and typically it's because you're in some kind of pain. But you see the world for what it is, and then you say, I, I can't take this anymore. This, this has got to end. It's so bad. It's got to come to a close. And so we're praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying this as he brings the kingdom. He's teaching them to pray this way. So you'll know what the contours of the kingdom are by looking at Jesus. You'll see people being healed. You'll see wholeness being brought 
and and it always is a holistic thing for instance the the paralytic that the men let down before jesus he it's holistic in the sense that he begins with with absolving him of his sin and then he moves on to the healing he heals his soul and then his his body same with the leper who comes up and jesus touches him that that affected both at the same time it healed his soul because he could be touched by another human being he was no longer set apart from everyone jesus touched him and then then he's made whole and we see this over and over again that he's making things whole he's not just healing people and giving them new health no he's making them whole he's healing them in in body mind and spirit and so when the kingdom comes, we'll all be um, shocked at our bodies. We'll be shocked at the world itself, the creation itself, because all we have experience of is fallen creation. And yet even then, it, it is we can't imagine at some level anything better. And so we, we pursue it, we cling to it, and, and it's... To, to, to pray for his kingdom to come is based in the recognition that the world is not as it should be and that you believe that, that his kingdom coming will restore all things to a splendor and a grandeur that we cannot even imagine. It's the honest truth. We can't even imagine it because we have no analog for it. All we can see is a fallen creation. And so when we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven it's a submission to him as as king and him because he because he has a kingdom so he's a king but but it's also our submission to our loving father who we recognize that when his will is done then it's good in fact it's very good and we will able be able to agree with him in that in the coming kingdom but we can already see it in our mind's eye but even then it's it's i believe a poor shadow of what actually will be i believe that we will absolutely be beyond delighted to live in the in the restored uh earth and it'll be the greatest thing we could ever even imagine it'll be more than anything we can imagine today i believe that with all my heart and we want to see that come on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus says, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven, that tells us something about these fallen angels, that, that there is no problem in heaven. They've been kicked out of heaven. So their problem here on earth, which is what we know, and we see that in, in millennial reign, we see all, the, all these different places, but but what Jesus is doing is, is assuring us that in heaven there's no dissension. There's no battle going on in heaven for who's the greatest. God's will is done, and his kingdom is in heaven. And so he's assuring us of that. And we can have confidence that there's no battle raging in the heavens, which is exactly what most pagan religions teach. Yet there's a battle going on in the heavens between rival gods. And they tell that story in order to explain why the world is the way it is. Because it's just the overflow. Humanity wasn't created for the pleasure of the gods. They were created to serve the gods, period, end of sentence, and, and do their bidding. But, but the gods are, 
um, not good in the sense that God is good. They're not consistent in the way God is consistent. They're basically human beings writ large. So the, the chaos that we see and observe on earth is a result of the chaotic nature of the gods. Like I said, they're just like us, only on a bigger scale. And they're, they're jealous, they're envious, they're constantly fighting with one another. It, it, it's just a mess. The, the, what, what we can't appreciate, I don't believe very well, most of us who grew up in church, for instance, is the, the monotheism, the understanding of one God with no rivals. It gives a coherence to the universe in a way that allows us to do science. And in my mind, that, that it allows us to do science is an important thing in the sense that without that, then there are all these other ideas that are, that are unable. We, the things we know is largely based in the understanding of the world is created by a single God. Whether scientists today recognize that truth or not, is immaterial in many ways because the basis for all their building on was that there was a single God who created all things and therefore creation itself, Paul says, so we know this goes back at least 2,000 years, Paul says the creation itself declares the glory of God and so that he might be known from things that are. So it, it, the science is based in the idea that the world is knowable and it is not chaotic even though it may look chaotic to us human beings are chaotic but but god's creation outside of human beings is not chaotic and and that whatever looks like it is then there's an explanation for we just hadn't found it yet i mean one of the most chaotic things that you'll that you'll ever see that's unexplainable is quantum physics i mean if if observing an electron means that it no longer moves in the same path and we can't project where it will be. There's a mystery there that's just not solved. But what it continues to say is, as we get smaller and smaller and smaller on things, the less we can actually understand. And so it's an amazing thing. And that's why I've said multiple times, the best philosophers nowadays are those who have used to be quantum physicists. And they observed phenomenon that, that didn't make sense. And they, they dared ask the question, why? Why should it be so? And that's a philosophical question, not, not a scientific question. So after they saw the scientific questions were unexplained phenomenon, they began to ask the question, why? And, and I think that that needs to be the way we approach things is that we, we can just trust in the one who created all things, who sustained all things, and who has redeemed all things, in his Son, we can just trust him for that. doesn't mean we shouldn't do inquiry, but at the end of the day, then, then we should just be able to be like little children, trusting that because I said so is a good enough answer. And then it moves from that, that hallowing of his name and, and asking for the coming of the kingdom. Jesus is teaching us then to take the next step, which is to make our needs known to him. And remember, he said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so he taught him to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Which would be hearkening back to the manna. I've heard lots of people say um, "Give us that, that that actually means give us tomorrow's bread today. And, and it's the um, reason that they will say then that you should ask for abundance and all that kind of stuff. Well, 
actually the the most blessed time according to God and according to the people mostly the people who didn't live through it was the time in the wilderness because there was a closeness there there was a daily dependence and reliance on God so I, do I have any question that Jesus is is telling them to literally pray for manna no because I know in my own life that truth of whenever I'm closest to him is whenever I know my need of him moment by moment, day by day. And so I also know from Israelite history, but all the way back to Moses, that his biggest concern was when you come into the land and you experience prosperity, you're going to forget. He was always concerned that prosperity would keep people from seeking God because then they would be seeking after things of earth and they would believe that somehow or another, like Cain did, I worked hard to get this, I'm sure you did something or I wouldn't have been able to get it, so I'm going to pay you a bribe rather than a thankful sacrifice for all that you've done. And so that thanksgiving part of it kind of gets taken care of in this when, when we just say, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today. And then forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors which makes our forgiveness from God contingent upon our previous forgiveness of those who are indebted to us. And that speaking of sin in this instance is what that's talking about. It's, it's not financial debt. It, no, it, it, it has to do with forgiving those who are in our debt in order to balance the scales and so forgiveness can be that thing which balances the scales. You, it, it's not a magnanimous thing because it's the recognition that I, too, am a sinner. And so it's a matter of confessing my sins to the Lord. Forgive us our debts is confessing that I have debts. <laughs> it's affirming that, um, that, that and, and asking God to forgive that debt that I owe. And, and as Christians on this side of Easter, we pray that in the name of Jesus. We're, we, we are asking for his righteousness to be imputed to us and our sins to be imputed to him. And in that way, we receive forgiveness. It's a heck of an exchange for us. We get grace. We get eternal life. He gets our sins. But that's the basis of forgiveness is Christ's blood shed on the cross once and for all for sin, and, and that's God's means and mechanism to effectuate forgiveness to his sinful people. But what we, what we need to be is, is, again, going back to the comment before, that if you love your enemies, then you prove yourself to be a child of the Father who is in heaven, who does the same. And here it's the same thing. We're asked to be for, we are asking for forgiveness as we forgive. We are, we are acting in a godly manner like him when we forgive those who have debts to us. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, and that evil is the evil one. It's referring to a person. It's not just evil in general. No, the evil one which, again, is an extraordinary statement that there is an evil one. It's, it's an extraordinary statement to, um, to Jews today because they're, they're not 
up on <laughs> that intertestamental literature and, and what the ethos and understanding of the time of Jesus would have been concerning this evil one. That gets kind of airbrushed out. Um, they'll bring other stuff from those same sources in and then airbrush parts out that would actually tend to confirm something about Christianity. There, there was an, a deep antipathy towards Christianity for a long time within Judaism. Um, and, and it just is what it is. You know, but they were drummed out of the synagogues. They were harassed and harangued. Paul could, could have them brought up on charges and on trial. Um, they could be persecuted with absolute impunity. And so when, when we ask for to deliver, to lead us not into temptation, it, it's to, basically it's going back to the 23rd Psalm, and, and it's talking about God's leadership and how God leads us. Um, but, but we're asking him that we're saying, we will follow you. That's the commitment there. If he's not going to lead us into temptation, then the implication is that he is leading us and we are following him, but then ultimately deliver us from evil. And, and so if you want to understand those two phrases, then go back and, and look at and read and meditate on the 23rd Psalm, which is the perfect example of God's leadership of his people. Um, he leads me beside the still waters. He, he takes me to places, you know, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. So it, it, that's exactly what, the, what that is, it, that, that refers to that last um, sentence, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then, then we're, ex- we're, we're recognizing our relationship to him is like sheep with a shepherd, and then we trust the good shepherd to be the one to lead us into all these things. And then Jesus, in case you missed it, (laughs) basically, at the end, he says, hey, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So if you forgive, then your heavenly Father will forgive. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus gives the, the way to pray. Don't pile up empty phrases. Don't just go on um, with many words. Nope. Pray simply. Pray like this. And then has to explicate, the, in case they, they misunderstood, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus says, okay, I, I, there's a piece of this I have to explain to you. If you forgive, then you'll be forgiven. If you do not, then you won't be forgiven. And I, and I think too often we miss that and we hold grudges against people. We hold grudges against other Christians. We, we, we just are unforgiving in our attitude towards them. And that needs to change. And it needs to change now because if you want to deepen your relationship with God, if you want him to draw near to you, then the way to do that begins with forgiving others. And so this model prayer that Jesus gives us, and then we take it and we make it into the ACTS model of prayer, which is adoration, which would be that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That part of it, the adoration of God for who he is, comes first. My language for that is not as good as it ought to be, personally. Confession comes next. And the problem with confession can be that we'll, we'll start out confessing these gross sins and we'll feel better about ourselves as those things kind of fall by the wayside. And then we'll realize that our hearts are a mess because we'll start to see things. You know, the other day I was in the gym and I was watching a guy doing something and and he was only kind of halfway doing what he was doing. And, but he obviously felt good about himself for what he was doing. But then I immediately judged him, but then exalted myself and said, well, I don't do that. I mean, it's a mess. 
it's my heart is a mess. I don't know why I judged that guy to start with, nor why I compared myself to him. What is wrong? I mean, there, there's something deep in the heart of man that's a mess. So that's confession. And like I said, once you begin confessing, then God will show you other things because he's trying to make you like his son. And that's a difficult process. It's a lifelong process that's not even finished until death. And then so adoration, confession, thanksgiving. So adoration is, is uh, exalting God for who he is. Thanksgiving is, is thanking him for what he's done. And we should be thankful people. We should recite our blessings on a regular basis. And then finally, it's supplication, asking for what we need and the needs of others. And all those are covered in that little prayer right there, the Lord's Prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.